introduce him. If you, have, if you have not picked up the book, God's Space, I would definitely encourage you to get that book. Uh, Doug Pollock is the evangelism trainer of Athletes in Action and co-author of Irresistible Evangelism. Uh, Doug's passion for spiritual conversations has led him to 36 countries. And to find out more, of course, you can always go to GodsGPS.com. I want to share as well, again, as I shared at the beginning, in case you missed it, we have more God's Space books, lots of them. In the back, you can get them on your way out. He'll be here from 3 to 7. Even if you didn't sign up, even if you're still uncertain, you can still just show up from 3 to 7 this afternoon. I also want to share, you know, I gave, uh, or, yeah, I gave some of these books to other pastors in our Evangelical Friends Eastern Region. And many of you know Pastor John Reiser, who used to be one of our area superintendents, and he just loved the book. <laughs> he just loved it so much. He keeps talking about it and quoting it. So if you haven't read it, uh, I would encourage you to get a hold of that book and read it, but certainly enjoy what Doug shares this morning and let God use it for his glory and his purposes, as well as this afternoon. Um, Doug, can I pray with you before you start? Absolutely. Let That'd me pray. Great. Lord God, I just lift up Doug, and I just pray, Lord God, that you would use him this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use his words for your glory and your purposes and the, fur the, furtherance, the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord God, use his words and use his message into our hearts and into our minds, into our spiritual lives, so that we can help to fulfill the Great Commission and to fulfill Bethel's vision for next year, that we would fulfill the Great Commission by being contagious Christians. Be with Doug as he shares right now, and be with us as a congregation. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I turn it over to Doug now. Thank you, Steve. Hey, for $50, you can get an introduction like that, too. <laughs> I'm just wondering, Steve, what I, if I'd have plunked down a $100 bill, what I might have got. Oh, my. Hey, great to be with you. Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, this is a fantastic time of the year, and uh, I'm mindful of a, a story that I'd like to maybe begin with this morning uh, of a couple named Ken and Sue. Uh, they just returned from their uh, in-laws or all the different uh, family members over Thanksgiving, and Sue wanted to... to uh, set up a date time, so she uh, told her husband, hey, let's meet in a local coffee shop. Let's talk about our Christmas plans. And uh, they were going to go visit her family for Christmas, and, and as they began to discuss those plans, their travel plans, their airfare, and all that kind of thing, they just started to get around and be honest about how they were really feeling about that. And as they both began to talk about the feelings of going to Sue's place for Christmas, they both admitted they weren't all that very excited about it uh, because, let me give you a little context, Sue is the only Christian in her family. And she knew what, was, what would happen as they went home for Christmas, that uh, typically in the past, when conversations happen, uh, not only were they on the, on, you know, kind of being on the outside, spiritually speaking, to the rest of their family, they just didn't share the same views but when topics of politics came up, they were always on the wrong side of those political conversations. So Ken and Sue felt very either awkward at some times being in the conversation, or a lot of times felt like they just sat there in silence not knowing what to say. And as they began to think about the reality of what's happened in the past six months in our country, with some of the polarizing political conversations that have been happening in the culture, they were just dreading going home for Christmas. Now, if they were to turn to you and ask you the question, hey, 
how do we how do we have some kind of a redemptive conversation during this Christmas season with our family members? What would you tell them? I mean, are you finding it more and more challenging yourself in this polarized uh, culture that we're living in, having these kinds of conversations? Today, we want to talk about that, and I'm excited to be here this morning to speak at God's post office here in Poland, Ohio. You maybe have never seen this church that way before, but I actually think from God's point of view, looking out over the balcony of heaven, looking down, that he actually sees the church here as his post office. That we would actually gather on Sunday morning as his called out ones, the Christians. We gather on Sunday so that we could scatter Monday through Saturday and deliver his mail. His message that He has given to us. And so uh, this morning I want to talk about that. What does that look like for us to live out our role as God's mailman? I love what I came, when I came in this morning, the Scripture passage. You are my friends if you do what I command. And this is a command that God has given all of us. You know, sometimes I think, as I travel around the world, it seems like a lot of God's people think, hey, we pay Pastor Steve to be good and do that kind of thing, but the rest of us, you know, you know, that's his job to pull that off. But the reality is if you study your Bible, I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion that all of us are invited into this sacred work of delivering his mail. So this morning we want to talk about that, especially as it comes to this Christmas season. And hey, here's the good news. I think a lot of us intuitively know that people are actually more open to having these conversations over Christmas. So as I'm preaching this morning, as I'm doing the workshop this afternoon, I'd like you to think about who's, on, who's in your route, uh, who, who do you know that you'd love to have a redemptive conversation with this Christmas, and to be thinking about some of the things I'm talking about this morning and applying it in that particular scenario. I mentioned that each of us have a route. And, whoa, I don't know what just happened there. We're having some, you know, hopefully no more technical difficulties, but it's, uh, each of us has a route, and what I'm referring to, that is where the rhythm of our day-to-day lives naturally causes us to cross the path of those who are outside the faith, but they are inside our reach. Every one of you here, if I hung out with you for a week, I could find out where your route is. It's it's where you live. It's your neighborhood. It's where you shop. It's where you go to work. It's the people you work with. Uh, Maybe you work out. I I spend a lot of time, I'm a chaplain in the largest YMCA in the world, and and there's there's 27,500 people who come there. Uh, I get to meet a lot of people. That's part of my route. It's where you shop. Uh, It's where your just day-to-day life happens. And doesn't it seem to make sense that if God has called us out, the church, that's what the word church means, the called out ones, called us out of the world and set us apart for his purpose, that his idea was that as we are going about our day-to-day lives, we would be looking for opportunities to make deliveries and share his good news with people who are presently outside the faith, but they're inside our reach. 
Jesus said, spoke these words in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Have you ever received that for your life? Have you ever seen yourself as a sent one? That God actually wants to send us out. And often I think as one who's been involved in missions, again, not only do I think sometimes people in the church think that, hey, we pay our pastor to do that work, but sometimes I I feel that kind of comes to me too. Hey, you're the one out there doing, you're the sent one, Doug. You're the one who's been called to go out into all the world. And I'm like, you know, I know God has a specific calling on my life, but have you ever received the fact that he has a calling on your life? That you are one of the, you are uh, maybe one of the only Christians that has unimpeded access into the people's lives that you rub shoulders with, that you might be the only Christ follower that a lot of people know. And that God's purpose and plan is that you, a member of the church, a called out one, would be equipped and ready to deliver God's mail. Lest you think I'm playing uh, loosely with the scriptures today, I think the Apostle Paul certainly understood this. This whole idea that we're God's mailman. Listen to what he says, or the the words that he was inspired to write in uh, a passage of scripture. Hopefully as it comes up here. There we go. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives you could substitute hey we're god's or we're Christ's mailman that in a very real way we uh, represent the kingdom of god to people who are outside the faith now i'm just curious this morning as we dive into this message some of you i'm sure have already tried to deliver god's mail and how many of you have ever had this experience as you've attempted to deliver god's mail anybody ever feel like uh in your attempt to deliver god's mail you feel like it got returned to sender? Anybody feel like that here this morning? Well, um, if you haven't read my book, you know, immediately go to chapter 2, because in there, I actually tell on myself. I became a Christ follower at Kent State University. You know that school not too far from here. And my junior year in college is when I became a Christian. I got so excited about what Jesus did in my life that I wanted to share that with all my friends. The problem is that I really hadn't gone to uh, mailman school. Uh, No one really had talked to me about how to deliver God's mail. And so with a whole lot of passion, I just started into the journey. And uh, often I committed uh, what I called spiritual conversation killers. I did a lot of things that actually caused the mail to be returned to sender. And what I learned, uh, and, and Steve could have introduced me this way this morning, Hey, all the way from Cincinnati this morning, we actually have a recovering evangelist. And I could have stood up and said, hi, my name is Doug. And you would have all said, <laughs> hi, Doug. Okay, we'll fill in the line there. You know, uh, my recovery started when I realized that uh, some of the things that I was doing was actually unappetizing. The people weren't saying no to Jesus as much as I thought they were. Sometimes they were just saying no to the unappetizing ways I was presenting him. Have you ever maybe bumped into some things like that that you've seen other Christians do that you go, 
if that's what it means to share my faith, I really don't want to be rude and disrespectful like that person who's screaming at people while they're walking by and tell them they're going to hell. You know, we've seen examples of things like that that really are quite a turnoff, and some of us are left with strong impressions that that's what, that, that, that's what this means to deliver God's mail. But uh, I, uh, God continued to work with me and show me that, hey, there are ways, winsome ways to share with people Ways that are respectful, ways that actually are very endearing to other people who are outside the church and outside the faith. This is a picture of what I perceive a typical church to look like today. Now, you got to understand, I travel in and out of churches all over. This past month, I've been to Oregon, I've been to L.A., uh, I'm going to be doing a national speaking tour in New Zealand here in a couple of months. I'm all over the place when it comes to going in and out of churches. And I, I wish I had a better report, but often, uh, if I'm going to be honest with God's people, I'd have to say this is a, probably a, a typical picture of a lot of churches, that ultimately the mail is piling up in the post office. And, and ultimately, a lot of God's people are not taking the mail to the streets, that, that somehow we have this mentality in the church that God's work has to happen in this building at this time. Well, I don't know. I'm looking around and I'm going, the whole mindset that we had for many years in the ministry, which is inviting people to come to church, to come and see, to hear what we have to say, those days are, are not, it's just not producing a whole lot these days. There are not a lot of people coming. And so maybe we've got to get back to the words of Jesus who told us to go into all the world. In other words, maybe we could say the day of home games is just about over. It's time for us in the church to learn how to play away games. I'll explain what that means more this afternoon. But uh, I think you kind of get it if you follow sports. You know, a home game is where you show up where your crowd is the majority. They've all got the color on and you got your sage on the stage. You're playing your music. And you might feel comfortable here this morning. But have you ever thought about what it would be like for an outsider who has no concept of what it's like to show up at church? The first thing is they walk in and, and they're asked to sing songs of words they have no idea what they mean. And, and a lot of churches sing for 30 minutes straight. Often I talk to, to people outside the church, they're like, I might sing two minutes in the shower, but 30 minutes straight, I, man, I was, I, that stretched me a whole lot. And then, and then I got to listen to a message and pay for the whole thing through something called an offering. And if I'm really lucky, I get to drink the blood of Jesus and eat his body. What goes on at these churches? I don't, you can see from an outsider's point of view, we don't know sometimes how it comes across to them. And uh, so... Coming to church is really scary for a lot of people. So we need to figure out how do we, you know, if you want to say, leave the church on Sunday and go be the church Monday through Saturday. If we want to see more people here, and I'm assuming that you would really hope this morning that this church would be filled, that you'd actually have to have two services. I mean, I think Jesus, if he is who he says he is, he's worthy of that kind of attention here in your area right but if that's going to happen 
I think there's a direct correlation between how many people are leaving the church on Sunday and how many people are showing up in their real worlds on their route Monday through Saturday and delivering God's mail. So it's very important that we understand, and you, you might be saying, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, if you're big on statistics, and I, I've been to graduate school, I know you can turn statistics to say whatever you want, but I've been out there, and I would tell you this is really true. Uh, the average church today spends $330,000 per convert. In other words, when you take all the money that's meant to keep the lights on and keep the church carpeted and pay the pastor's salary and keep the parking lot uh, you know, chipped and sealed and all that keeps the church going, and then ask how many people are in the church here this year that weren't last year because somebody left this building and showed up to be the church out there and now they say, I want what you have. You've got something that I don't have. And I want to know this Jesus that you know. And now this year they're in the church. There's a woman that did a study on 30,000 churches here in America. That's no small study. And here's what she learned. In a three-year period, she could only find 150 churches, 150 out of 30,000, that could report one or more adult baptisms in a three-year period. And if I'm going to get honest this morning, I'd have to say, what are we doing? Are we just talking to ourselves? Is the church a country club where we find people that we that kind of vote like us, dress like us, behave like us, and we love to come to this place, and it kind of becomes our club? This actually happened in Cleveland, not too far from here. I was doing a workshop, and uh, I broke for lunch, and a guy <laughs> pulls me over, and he says, hey, Doug. I really love what you're sharing. I mean, this has been some. This has been a fantastic workshop. He goes, I have a problem though. I said, What's that, sir? And he said, Well, I'm convinced that if more of us start to do some of the stuff that you are talking about, we might actually have more of those people out there come here. And he goes, I like my church the way it is right now. And Steve, I was kind of brain dead at the moment because I'd spoken for two and a half hours and I was just needing some calories, you know, to kind of get going for the second half of the workshop, because I missed an opportunity, and I should have respectfully looked at him, and I said, sir, I'm not trying to offend you, but maybe there's a problem here. Maybe you see this as your church, and I think if Jesus were here right now, he might say, get thee behind me, Satan, because I don't think Jesus would be excited about you what you just said about this is your church and you just like your little club just the way it is right now. Jesus cares for people who are outside these walls. Jesus longs for people here in Poland to experience this good news of Christmas and not just be a holiday tradition. But that's not going to happen unless his people, called by his name, move out in the inspiration of his spirit to deliver his mail in a day-to-day -day way. Now, this could be too convicting, so we might just want to move on. I don't know. Let's, uh, uh, I'm going to do something pretty crazy here today. Um, if my slides here will advance, hopefully here. There we go. Actually, by way of technology, uh, I'm going to invite an atheist to speak this morning. 
And uh, this guy, if you know anything about this guy, he really doesn't like us as Christians. But if God can cause a donkey to talk, I think he can actually make an atheist speak for him. And I'm, I want you to listen to what he has to say. And you, de you determine, he's, he's speaking about what we're talking about right now. And you listen to what he has to say, and you make up your own mind if this guy is speaking for God. Now, some of you might know him. His name is Penn Gilliatt. He has a show in Las Vegas. He has a TV show. Uh, it's called Fool Us. And he's on, the t on, on, uh, on regularly. But listen to what he has to say about this whole idea of being God's mailman and, and being concerned about people outside the church. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... Uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, wow. You know, I know when I first listened to this guy, I'm thinking, this atheist just called us out as Christians and saying, hey, this morning the songs that we're saying here by the choir and that we sang, if you say you believe this good news, why would you withhold this from the people on your route? Why would you not share this with the people in your Monday through Saturday world? And then gets very specific. How much do you have to hate people? Wow. He's kind of kind of like going, I'm thinking he maybe understands our message sometimes better than maybe we do. Because he's kind of saying, hey, if this is what you say you believe, then this is the way you ought to act. And I think it's a direct correlation to the passage of Scripture you have right over when I come in. If, if you say you believe in Jesus, you're going to do what he commands. And he told us to be about this. Well, if that wasn't out there enough for you, um, 
and rattled your cage a little bit here this morning, an atheist actually speaking in a church service. Uh, Pastor Steve is allowing me to do something this morning uh, that's going to shock all of you. He's going to He's allowed me this morning to introduce uh, a new staff member coming to your church here. And the reason I get to do it is because he's coming from our ministry, Athletes in Action, which I've been a part of for over 34 years. And uh, I'd like to introduce him to him because I think the idea is Steve is excited about this guy joining the staff here. And some of you are going, I didn't know anything about this. Did we certify this at the board meeting? He's coming and... His whole job is to kind of help you in this area of delivering God's mail and being more effective. Check him out in the spirit of the football season. In our ministry, we called him the evangelism linebacker. Here he is. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. As a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! don't you run from me. Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh-huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I got to go. Selfishness? The world needs a message. For God to love the world, it wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. Oh, here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Yeah, but anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shop. Woo! You next! Pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament, you know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Yo, mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! You know, I know some of you are chuckling, but I'm thinking... If this guy really were coming here, how many of you start looking for another church? <laughs> Some of us, when we think about evangelism, we think about these kind, of event, these kind of aggressive techniques that are just, you know, I'll tell you, they do get short-term results. People get motivated in the short term, but over the long haul, people are not going to continue to do this kind of stuff. They'd be looking for another church. And this guy might motivate some people for a short term, but the long haul, I think the Apostle Paul had it right. We ought to be 
motivated by the love of Christ. He said, the love of Christ compels me. It's kind of like I'm compelled because I've experienced this love of Christ that I want to share it with other people. Go tell it on the mountain is the song we used to sing. You know, share this message everywhere. Million dollar question I'm often asked uh, as people think about what I'm talking about here this morning is how do I how do I do this? It's the question that Ken and Sue are trying to figure out as they go home to Sue's family. How do I do this without weirding my family members out or the people at the work? How do I do this in such a way that I don't get labeled in my neighborhood as one of those kind of Christians, if you know what I mean? And I think that's a valid question, especially in this highly polarized culture that we're living in today. How do I pull that off? Just knowing that sometimes it's the moment you utter any word that seems religious. Somebody's out there ready to jump your clock. Well, I think we could uh, do well maybe to take a page uh, from Scripture. Uh, in Colossians 4, verse 5, it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. When I think of somebody who's really wise, I think of Dr. Robbie Zacharias. I don't know why. My thing is out of control back there. It's just going on its own. He said this, and I want to see if it resonates with you this morning. He said that we've got to find the back door into people's hearts because the front door is heavily guarded. How many of you would say that's true in, in, here in the Poland, Ohio area, in this area? That for a lot of people, any kind of a front door approach is going to get shut down. Well, if we're going to be wise towards outsiders, and because it is football season, and because the Buckeyes did win last night, come on, OH. I'll tell you what, I did that at a church in Michigan about a month ago, and they didn't like me a whole lot. I wanted, I told him afterwards, I said, I just want to see if you guys were a friend of sinners. <laughs> I wish I could go back there today after last week. Woo! Wow, the Buckeyes put one on them. But I'm going to use a, a, an illustration from the sport of football, since it is football season, to kind of help us get our heads and hearts around this whole idea. What would it look like today to be wise towards the people who are outside the faith but inside our reach? Now, if you know, if you watched the game last night, the captains met at midfield there was a toss of the coin. Northwestern actually won the toss, and they elected to kick off to the Buckeyes first. That game didn't actually start until one of the Buckeyes caught the ball, and the Buckeyes had to start the game not where they wanted to be on the field, but where they caught the ball. And I would say, if you think about the people on your route, everybody is somewhere in relationship to God. Everybody has a spiritual zip code. And one of the challenges that we face is, where are people living in relationship to God? I think a lot of you intuitively know that if I sent you out right now to invite 10 people to church, you'd be really blessed to feel like if one person would come. That's not where they're at. They're not like jumping up and down going, wow, can I really come to your church? Thank you for the invitation. And so we have to start where they are, just like in a football game, you got to start where you catch the ball in the field. Now, I'm curious this morning is you think about the people who are on your route, the people in your family system, the people who are on your heart here this morning. How many uh, have people that you would say are a long way away from God? They're way back towards the end zone. They're very resistant to the claims of Christianity. You have anybody like that in your life? What does it look like to engage them? And if you would, move the ball up the field. 
You know, that's the whole idea of the sport of football, right? It's to move the ball down the field. How about if somebody were apathetic? Do you feel like you, you would know how to engage them? A lot of people will say things like this. Hey, if that's your thing, that's fine for you. Just don't push it onto me. Have you heard that one? Or how about somebody, the people who might come here for Christmas? They show a little curiosity, and we get so excited as Christians, we want to tell them everything from Genesis to Revelation and even include the maps. We biggie-size our spiritual meal. We oversupply and we kill the demand. Or how about if somebody were in the red zone, they were seeking, they were close. Do you feel like you'd know how to help them, so to speak, cross the goal line of faith? Now, um, if you think about the sport of football, you know that the good teams are the teams that are committed to first downs and sustained drives. I mean, last night there were a couple of long passes that uh, yielded great results for the Buckeyes, but, but most of the game was actually spent in the trenches trying to move the ball five yards at a time or three yards at a time. Sometimes the ball went backwards. And I think as you think about uh, advancing God's kingdom, uh, there's a lot of similarities. Every once in a while, I, if you want to say, experience an ESPN highlight. In other words, a story where if I shared it with you, you'd go, oh my gosh, that's incredible. But the reality is those are the exceptions, not the norm. That for anyone as serious about advancing God's kingdom, that ultimately it's one conversation at a time, one aha at a time, one touch at a time. And so what if you and I could get our ideas, our head and hearts around the idea that just like in the sport of football, it's kind of moving the ball forward. What if we all committed ourselves this Christmas to the nudging ministry? That God might want to use us to nudge someone one step closer to the foot of the cross. And would that be okay with you? See, I'm convinced a lot of God's people feel like failures because they don't have any ESPN highlight touchdown stories. And the reality is, those are the exception, not the norm. Think about your own journey to become a Christian. And I would think that a lot of you would say, yeah, there was a process involved. And doesn't the Bible talk about this process? That, hey, we need to plow, and we need to water, and we need to plant the seed, and we need to nurture the seed. And eventually, it, there, there comes time where there's a harvest. Let me uh, share a story as I uh, land the plane here this morning because Steve told me when I got up this morning I had to observe the greatest of the Beatitudes. If I was going to preach here and I'm like, Steve, I've been in seminary just like you. I, I enjoy them all. He said, well, here at Friends, we, we want to make sure you get this one right. I said, okay, okay, help me out. And he said, uh, the most important one this morning is blessed are the brief for they will be asked back. So I want to land the plane here this morning, and I want to do it by sharing a story that maybe, you know, kind of encapsulates everything that I've been talking with you about this morning and ties it up in a story. It actually happened uh, several years ago. I was on a plane flight to Canada, and I was speaking to one of the largest uh, churches there in, in Canada, in Edmonton, Church of 2500. And uh, you have to understand something. For me, getting on an airplane is like, crawling into my man cave, you know, I kind of, you know, no phones, no disruptions, 
I, I can sit there and get my laptop out and go to work and prepare for the next place I'm speaking. So uh, I had an aisle to myself, and I was like, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But right before the door closed, some lady's running down the jetway, and she gets in right before they close that door, and one you know, she's sitting right next to me. So I had to scramble real quick, get all my stuff that I had already taken out, and thought, I thought I was good to go. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll get it out of your way. And, and when you know, this lady is a flaming extrovert. The word on the street is, ladies, most of you need 25,000 words a day. This woman needed 40, and it was just 8.30 in the morning, and she hadn't started yet. And when she sat down, I mean, she just started on me. And I'm just sitting there going, God, not right now. I do not want to be on the clock right now. I am not wanting to deliver your mail right now. I've got work to do. You know I'm speaking tonight at this church. I mean, as I share this story, I am going to take some time outs along the way to make sure you don't miss the obvious. If you're waiting this morning to feel like it, to deliver God's mail, those feelings may never come. It's an act of obedience. As this passage on Scripture on your back wall there says, you know, to do what Jesus commands us, it's not until I whip myself into a place where I feel like following His commandments. A lot of times I have to act in faith whether I feel like it or not. That's what obedience is. And so I had wrestled with God before and matters, and I just decided, you know what? God, this could be a divine appointment. I closed my laptop, put it away, and I said, okay, I'm going to be present in this conversation. So I started talking to her, and you know, one of the best places to start a conversation with somebody who's out the church is not like look at them and say, brother, are you saved? You know, something like that. That's a big front door approach. Uh, instead, I think uh, what we need to learn to do as Christians if we're going to deliver God's mail is we need to find out what they're interested in. And the secret of being interesting in a conversation is to be interested. So I soon found out that she was a world traveler like myself. She's been to 26 different countries. I've been to 42 now. And, and we start talking about the favorite foods, favorite places we've seen, favorite countries. And it dawned on me. I wonder what takes her to all these places. I know what's taken me there. It's the gospel. It's the good news. But wonder what's taking her to all these countries. And so I asked her, I said, if you don't mind me asking, how do you get to travel so much? What takes you to all these places? And she says, I'm the lead singer in a band. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So now my follow-up question was, well, tell me about your most exciting gig of all time. Like the, the, the biggest concert you've ever done that you just... She said, oh, that's really easy. I once was brought on the stage, and here she is, a picture of her, playing a wireless saxophone while sitting on the back of a camel while my band played in front of the pyramids. And I'm like, this lady is no wannabe singer. She must be big time. And so I, I said, well, if you've done something like that, you probably even have a, a second one that, that's probably pretty exciting. And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, I once played in front of President Bush. And I said, you got to play for the President of the United States? And she said, yes, I did. And I said, what was that like? And she looked at me, and her tone of voice just all of a sudden changed. She said, 
I will never do that again. <laughs> and I said, what gives? Why was that such a turnoff? And let me give you a little context to her answer. This was right before President Obama got elected the second time. It was a month before that. And you probably recall the last election, because we're in Ohio, we're in a battleground state. I mean, like a month, those robocalls are coming. And I mean, we get 10 a day at our house. And I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger calls me. I mean, I got, I got all these prominent, famous people calling me by way of robocall, telling me how I should vote. And she said, I am just so sick and tired of politics. I am so sick and tired of Republicans and Democrats demonizing one another, and I no longer am going to give my talents to help the political process. I said, I hear you. I feel the same way. I can't, I can't stand the kind of the, the, the uncivil discourse that we have in our culture these days. And I said, you know, I just, I just dropped this. Just a little breadcrumb. I said, you know, I feel the same way about religion. And she right away hit that so hard. She goes, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I said, it sounds like you've had some bad experiences with religion. She goes, yes, I have. She goes, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. We were the, we were the poorest Jews in our neighborhood. And so we were the butt of all the Jewish jokes in our neighborhood. Then she looked at me, and I mean, everything in her, the fire of being a performer, being on stage, she looked at me and she goes, let's just put it this way, I hate religion. Whew, does that sound like the mailbox door is closed? Like, we're not, we're not taking deliveries today. Uh, don't even think about it. Don't even go there. But remember our passage of Scripture, Colossians 4, 5 says, be wise towards outsiders. So in the moment, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me wisdom from above. And instead of feeling like, okay, don't touch that conversation, I very gently moved ahead respectfully. And I said, it sounds like, I did some listening, and by the way, I think one of the greatest things we can do in our culture today, if we want to deliver God's mail, is not so much speak, but listen. People are starved to be listened to out there. And we're going to talk about that this afternoon, how to listen for heaven's sake. So I did some listening. I said, it sounds like religion has hurt you because you were the butt of a lot of jokes, and, and you just don't want any part of this. And she goes, yeah, I don't. I said, I am curious, and if you don't want to answer this question, I gave her permission. I said, have you ever had any experiences in life that you'd call spiritual in nature? And she says, you know, I have. I said, I'd love to hear about those. See how I turned the conversation from talking about religion to just open it. I said, have you had any? And I didn't want to define and say, have you ever had a Christian spiritual experience? Because now I'm kind of narrowing the conversation down. And I think this is where we get in trouble as Christians and why the male sometimes is returned to center is because we want to have a conversation where we get to control the curriculum for the conversation. We get to go chapter and verse, and we get to talk about what we want to talk about. And people aren't a lot of times ready for those kinds of conversations. She started to explain to me that when she was 12 years old, she was going to commit suicide. 
because her mom and dad were going through a divorce, and she was caught in the middle, and they were both pulling at both sides, trying to woo her to their side. And I said, what did you do? She took, I took my mom's prescription pills, and I was going to go overdose. I went out to a very remote place. It sounded like it was a park or some nature reserve, way out away from people, no cars, no people, nobody around. But she decided before she overdosed, that she would write a note to her parents explaining why she did what she did. I'm sitting at 35,000 feet, Steve, and I'm sitting here going, first of all, I'm so glad I was obedient to God that I put my laptop away, or I would have missed a divine appointment. Sometimes we just miss what God has for us because we're so preoccupied with our own lives. We're so inwardly focused that we're missing what God has for us. Secondly, I'm sitting here going, I can't believe she's sharing this with me at 35,000 feet. I mean, I don't, you know, a total stranger, so to speak. Well, she said, you know, uh, right as I was finishing up the letter, a lady appeared out of nowhere. A lady I'd never seen before. I didn't know how she got there. I didn't even know how she knew I was there. And she seemed to know what I was doing. And she walked up to me. She says, you don't want to do this. Your life is going to bring joy to a lot of people someday. And it just caused her to stop. A deer in the headlights and just stop. And think about what she had just said. And as she was thinking about it, the lady just suddenly disappeared. She goes, I don't know where she went. I don't know how all this happened. And then she stops and goes, I'm sorry. This sounds probably pretty stupid to you. And you probably think I'm pretty crazy. And I totally shocked her. I said, no, I really don't think you're crazy at all. And she goes, you don't? I said, I don't know. I said, but you'd have to understand something about me. I said, I actually believe there's a God who loves us. And I believe his heart was broken when you as a 12-year-old girl were getting ready to take your life just because your parents couldn't make something called marriage work. And you're caught in the middle of that. And is it possible, I didn't try to get dogmatically certain whether, I just said, is it possible that lady who you didn't know, you'd never seen her before or after, is it possible that could have been an angel that God sent to you to spare you from doing something that was breaking his heart? She looked at me and she goes, oh my gosh, I've never thought about it that way before. I said, have you had any other experiences that you call spiritual in nature? She goes, you know I have. And I said, I'd love to hear about that. She starts telling me another story when she was 21. When she gets done with that story, you'd have loved to been there, Steve. I looked her right in the eye and I said, you know what? You really are a believer. And she goes, and she just went nuts. She goes, a believer? I told you I hate religion. I said, I'm not talking about religion. I said, but for the last 15 minutes, you've told me two stories. Is it possible that you've been dissing the God who has been reaching out to you throughout your life, but you have been kind of putting him off because you're afraid you will become religious like those people who hurt you way back in the neighborhood? She goes, oh my gosh, you're getting me to rethink my whole life. And I said, I'm curious. Growing up Jewish, have you ever had the privilege of just studying the life of Jesus? I said, I think you'd actually like him because he had some pretty tough words for people who were religious. 
And they didn't like some of the things he said. And they, they labeled him a friend of sinners. I said, have you ever looked at his life? He goes, no, I really haven't. I said, would you permit me for the next hour we have on this plane ride, just to kind of be your tour guide, I want to take you through the New Testament, and I just want to expose you to Jesus. And we'll ask questions, and we kept it very conversational. For the next hour, we had a Bible study on the life of Jesus on the airplane. When we hit the ground in Canada, she looked at me and she says, you know what? I wish more people could have conversations like this. She wasn't ready to become a Christian right there on the spot. But I'll tell you what, the ball got moved. There was some nudging by the Holy Spirit that went on that day. And when she said, I wish more people could have conversations like this, I thought, oh, so do I. If you're sitting here today and you wish you could have more conversations like that as you think about Christmas, this afternoon, the workshop, that's what we're going after. You could say this afternoon is all about how to help God's people increase the quantity and the quality of their spiritual conversations. Question for you this morning. Do you believe that as human beings, we are human beings on a spiritual journey or spiritual beings on a human journey? I'm not trying to play semantics with you here today, but if you believe like I do that God has put eternity in our hearts, then that means God has hardwired people to have these conversations. Just like birds fly south in the winter, people are actually made in the image of God and they need a place to have these spiritual conversations. Now what happened on the airplane that day? Well, I, I would say uh, some God space was created. You say, what is God space? Well, um, I'm hoping it's going to come up here if I keep pushing the button. Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, there we go. Uh, God space is where God's love is demonstrated in practical, doable, and authentic ways. It's where safe space is created for cynics, skeptics, and spiritually curious people to raise their questions, share their doubts, and voice their concerns. Where seeds of faith are planted, watered, and nurtured. It's where Christianity becomes credible, relevant, plausible, and believable. And if you'd like to create some space like that this, this uh, Christmas season, or with the people in your day-to-day -day route, that's what we're going to be talking about this afternoon in our workshop. And I think you find it to be a very fast-moving time. It's uh, very media-driven. Uh, we're going to have lots of opportunity for you to have uh, small group conversations. Uh, don't think that you're coming to something where I'm going to be speaking for four hours. I don't even know that I could last that long myself. But we're going to do a lot of uh, interactive kind of thing this afternoon. But the whole focus is really meant to help you as God's people to equip you to do what Christ has commanded us, to go into all the world. And if you feel like you lack confidence or maybe competence and you don't feel very good about yourself as a mailman, hey, this is the afternoon where you are coming to mailman school and you get to learn from some of my failures so you don't have to repeat my mistakes. Um, I guess at this point, if I'm going to observe the greatest of the Beatitudes, I probably ought to pull the plug. Let me close in a word of prayer as uh, we end our uh, this, this, this message uh, here this morning. Father God, we pause this morning and we first of all thank you for the people that you sent our way. Each one of us here has a story today. 
You've brought people across our path who were faithful to deliver your good news. And we're here today because you used them in our lives. And we, in turn, as your people, want to be faithful to be the same and do the same for others. Would you help us just this day, uh, by the power of your Spirit, to increase our confidence, our sense of competence, that you would uh, infuse us uh, with a new sense of excitement about delivering your mail. I pray for those who've come here this morning who have been in this thing called the Christian life a long time and uh, maybe haven't seen a lot happen in this area and are really struggling even to have faith that you want to use them. Father, uh, would you just um, do what you do by the power of your Spirit to encourage them? Um, as I know you have a job for each of us to do, you've got people on our route that you want to deliver this good news to. We pray this morning that you would bring this to pass so that your kingdom would be advanced and you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank Doug, and I hope many of you can come back this evening. Please stand if you're able and join us as we sing in Christ alone. My hope is found. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This 
power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me close the service with prayer. Lord Jesus, we are here in the power of Christ. By your power we go forth and help us as we share the gospel with others, with our life and with our words. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. How about if I...